Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to sing praises to your name. We ask that you bless this time as we look at the scriptures and, and see what you would have us to learn from this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, we're continuing in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and, Adam and Eve had committed the, the only sin that they could have because they had one rule, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. God had, they tried to clothe themselves in their own works, and then God killed the animal and created skins to cover them, showing them the first sacrifice. And so in 3, verse 22, And the Lord God said unto the man, Behold, he has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And he drove out the man and placed him in the east of the garden of Eden and placed in the, at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way and kept the way to the tree of life. So the result of their sin was that they died spiritually. They started dying physically and they were kicked out of the garden. And the thing I want to pay attention to here on this verse is cherubins guarded Eden. Now, if you don't know what a cherubin is, it's, it's one of the classes of angels. And I wanted to just take some time here and talk about angels. Um, because people right now are very interested in angels. Uh, it started way back, you know, with the Touch by the Angel series where the angels did all these things and we've gotten into some very dark shows now with angels and we even have a show called Lucifer on TV so wanted to just cover some of the things about angels uh, so we get a biblical perspective on angels and what first thing I want to think is you know what do you think about angels in the first place when you hear the word angels do you immediately start thinking about a woman with wings, as the popular picture is in this day and age. Um, perhaps you're one of those who believe that when you die, you become an angel. And we're going to kind of knock down some of these myths that aren't biblical. Uh, so we're going to spend just a little bit of time on this. Um, there's great interest in it. So we're going to look at some of this. The Bible really does not talk directly about angels. It's kind of presumptive that angels exist. It's kind of like when the Bible talks about God. There's no verse that gives us great, one verse that gives us a few great description of God. It just assumes God exists and starts talking about him. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these verses. We're going to pull out what we know about angels and what we don't know about angels. Uh, the angels are talked about 196 times in the Bible. So it's a pretty popular topic. It's in 34 of the 66 books mentioned angels. Starts out in Genesis talking about angels and go all the way to Revelation talking about angels. So God has a great purpose for angels. We're going to look at when were angels created. I know the Sunday school class just had a topic on this and I disagree with the topic that the, the, what the Sunday school book said. Um, there's two schools of thought on it. One is that angels existed before creation, which is what I believe, is that they were created sometime before and had their fall and came along. The other school of thought, and I'm not going to say they're wrong, it's just, 
you know, angels show up at the very beginning, so I have, I have a problem with them falling to the degree that they fell <laughs> in, in that short of time. The other degree, the other one says basically angels were created on the day that light was created. <laughs> because they've got to deal with one very important verse, and this is in Job. And Job 38. Starting at verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who has laid the measure thereof? If you know, and or who has stretched for the line upon it? Wherefore, whereupon the, are the foundations of it fastened? And who laid the cornerstone thereof? Among When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with joy. So God's telling Job, <laughs> the angels were there. <laughs> Okay, because Job, remember, he was saying, if I can just talk to God, I'll, I'll justify myself. And this is God talking back to him and says, okay, where were you? You want to you counsel me, where were you? And the angels, basically saying the angels were there. So that means they were either created right at the very beginning of creation or they were created before, crea before our creation. Okay, and this takes you into a whole bunch of things we're not going to get into today, but... Uh, there's more it's quite likely that God has had other creations out there that he's dealt with and, and, and handled, even though they're not scriptural, other than we see the angels seem to be pre-existent to this creation. I will not take a hard stance on that because that's the only verse we have about it. We, they were there. <laughs> All right. So we know one of two things. They were either created at the very first of, of creation so that they could sing for creation, or they were created before our world was created. And again, when we start talking about angels, there's not a whole lot that we can talk about definitively about them because they are just assumed to exist. All right. God doesn't say, I'm going to tell you all about angels. Why? Because he probably didn't want us worshiping angels. <laughs> all right. Um, we know that they are created beings. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Okay? Everything that exists, whether in our universe or some other universe if they're out there, or anything that exists at all was created by God. And this is very important when we look at angels, especially when we think about the one who used to be the chief angel, Lucifer. Okay? Lucifer and Ezekiel were told that Lucifer was a cherubim who rebelled from his position and was rejected by God. And he and Jude were told that he was the chief <laughs> of the angels before he fell. So we want to remember this because most people, when they think of Satan, think of this guy that's God's opposite. He's equal to God in all aspects and is opposite, and that is not a true statement. Satan is a created being, and God could take him out at any moment, just as he could with any other created being. But he's using him. He's using him during our day to be the tester. So just 
I want to, as we're going in, we're going to try to knock out some of these miscommunications and different thoughts that a lot of people have about these. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe this is going to be something that's very boring. You've never had these thoughts, but I know other people have had these thoughts. And because angels were created as angels, we do not become angels when we die. And I know that's a big concept that people think, oh, when we die, we become angels. No, we are still humans. <laughs> Without a body, we will be in our spirit form but we will not become angels. As a matter of fact, we're told that we will judge angels. So right now we are under angels, we're under their tutelage, we're under their protection, but we're told that we will be their judge when we get our glorified bodies. So we're, we're trying to just work on some of these issues. Um, the number of angels, that's a, that's a question a lot of people like to think about. In Hebrews 12.22, we're told it's an innumerable number of angels. Well, the only problem with that is that Jesus said that they don't multiply. They don't, they're, not, they're not having new angels. So uh, well, I think what he's meaning there is that there are a whole lot of angels. So much that they, he was not able to comprehend that number. In Daniel 12... Seven, he tells us that there's thousands and thousands. So right there, you're looking at a million. And ten thousands and ten thousands. So you're looking at least 101 million angels. But you note that the word with thousands were on there. So it could be more than just one ten thousand. It could be 40 or 50 ten thousands. Again, the idea is there are more angels <laughs> than we can probably count or care to count. The good news on, for the number of angels, and this is one thing that when people feel like they're being tested beyond what they can handle and that they feel they're being oppressed by the demonic world, God has two angels to everyone. Lucifer only took one-third of the angels. Okay, So God can assign two angels to every single demon that's out there. All right. Having said that, one of the jobs of the angels is to protect us. Uh, this is given to us in many verses. I'll flip my page here. There, there, in Ezekiel 23, God said he would send his angels before the people of Israel. The job was to lead them and protect them. In uh, uh, 2 Kings 19.35, we see the Assyrians attacking Israel. They have Jerusalem surrounded. And the prophet says, don't worry, the 185,000-man army out there will, be, will not be there tomorrow morning. And in a single night, it says one angel <laughs> killed the 185,000 Assyrian army. And they just woke up, and the guys were dead. Now, you think about one angel being able to defend that many people. Think how powerful angels are. And for our world, they are beyond any power we can comprehend. In uh, 2 Kings 6, we see a story where the king sends the uh, army to arrest Elijah, who's in a city, and they've got the, the, the city surrounded. And Elijah's servant comes in and goes, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And God said, Lord, open his eyes. And he looked out, and the army that surrounded it, Elijah was surrounded by angels. And kind of interesting, shining ones with chariots is what it describes them as in, this, in that one, which means that they were cherubim that God had sent to deliver him. So 
we see the power and the pro process of the fact that they are protectors. In Acts 5.19, we see the angel of the Lord going into the prison and rescuing Peter. And that's, if you don't know that story, that's a wonderful story. The church is praying for Peter to be delivered. He's arrested. He's supposed to be killed the next day. Uh, Peter is so comfortable. He's sleeping so sound, the angel has to wake him up <laughs> and says, uh, come on, we're leaving. <laughs> and then Peter thinks he's dreaming and, and wake, you know, kind of comes to a sense and he's outside the prison. <laughs> and then he goes to the door where the church is praying and knocks on the door and Rhoda answers the door and says, you know, I'll, just answers it and goes, hears his voice, runs, runs away from the door without opening it. <laughs> goes and tells the church who's praying, uh, Peter's outside and they go, oh, go away, we're praying for his deliverance. <laughs> Uh, you know, and we think you know, the church has had problems with believing in answered prayer nowadays. It's always been the case that the church has always had some problems believing that prayers are going to be answered. So, but the point on this is the angels are deliverers and protectors. Now out of this idea comes the idea that we all have guardian angels. Now that thought came from 300 AD and may or may not be true. I'm not going to say it isn't. But the one thing we can absolutely know for sure, if you need protection, God's going to send one or more angels to protect you. Now, does that mean we have an angel with us all the time that we're out there? That's going beyond what we can tell, can tell you from the Bible. God, knowing everything, will know when to send an angel your way. So it may seem like you have a guardian angel because every time you need one, one will be there. So... Uh, I don't want to scare anybody, but, you know, you may or may not have a guardian angel. Uh, but we don't know for Scripture. The other job that we know that the angels have from Scripture is that they are messengers. <laughs> All right. Um, Judges 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and called him and told him that he had a job to do. And uh, the one that we've been studying uh, in the Sunday school in Matthew 1 Joseph was told not to divorce Mary because <laughs> that's what he wanted to do. His, his, his fiance that he loved was found pregnant. And if you remember the story, he was going to go just divorce her quietly and not make a big spectacle of her, probably encourage her to go to some other town for a little while. <laughs> and the angel said, no, this is, it is exactly what she said. It is my child. It is not no man. Um, Matthew 20, 13, they told, they told him to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt because Herod was going to kill all the, all the young children in Bethlehem, all the, all the children from two years and younger. Of course, we all know Luke 1, 1, Zacharias. You know, Zacharias in the, holy of holy, in the holy place serving the Lord and an angel shows up. <laughs> and he gets into a little bit of a panic because nobody else is supposed to be there. And uh, so we see, and that was when he was told that he and Elizabeth were going to have the, the child, John, who became John the Baptist. And, of course, later on in Luke 1, chapter 20, uh, verse 26, Mary gets the announcement. And many, many other <laughs> stories of angels showing up to, to, to talk to people. That is, there are two jobs that we know that they have in the Bible as far as we are concerned. <laughs> now, the, we know that the cherubim seem to have the job of being protectors. We see them in Genesis. They're protecting the Garden of Eden from the humans. 
We see them with their arms outstretched over the uh, mercy seat. And that's how they're drawn, and that's how they're described in, um, in Ezekiel 1. And Ezekiel 1 is that fun chapter that's so hard to read because it talks about their four faces and look in the same direction and, and four wings and, and legs that are straight, that are cloven hooves. And that's about the only description we have of cherubim. And everybody reads that and goes, this is hard to understand. And I agree with you, it's hard to understand. Now, is this really what cherubim look like or is this just the picture that God has given to us? Well, they are spirits. So who knows what they really look like in that world? And that's one of the things that keeps bringing brought out. We, the, we have one description of cherubim and one only. The only other cherubim that we have any description of is Lucifer. And Lucifer has talked about having pipes and organs put in his body so that he was a person who seems to be able to have played in music and been designed to play music. And then we wonder why he is so much into the entertainment world and the music world for drawing his people toward him. And we want to be careful because, and I've talked about this, Lucifer is good with using entertainment. And entertainment is something that you hear everybody say, well, I don't listen to the words to these songs. And then when the song plays, they sing every single word <laughs> to the song. You know, I don't really watch the, the shows that I'm watching, uh, but it, you, the second time or third or fourth time they watch it, they're repeating the words of <laughs> the show. Why does this happen is because when we are being entertained, we kind of shut down our cognitive parts of our mind, and we just let ourselves be entertained. And for us as Christians, that is a dangerous place to be, to just shut down because I've told you, the more I watch these shows on TV, the more I see how ungodly they are, and I reject watching them, and I talk to other Christians, and they're not seeing all the ungodliness because they're not really thinking about what they're watching. They're just being entertained. And don't get me wrong, I did it for years myself. Uh, I watched all these shows, some of them that I'm now even looking at and say, well, how would I ever think that one was okay? And I'm just challenging us. I'm not saying that all these shows are don't watch, but keep your guard up. Don't sit down to vegetate when you're watching a movie, when you're watching a TV show, when you're listening to music. And I will even go so far, don't do it even if you're listening to Christian radio shows. Because there are a lot of false teachings out there. And if you're just mindlessly listening to it, it gets into your brain and affects you. And it's kind of interesting when you watch, uh, talk to somebody, well, where did, why, where did you pick up that idea? <laughs> where did you come up with that? And when you start thinking about it, you go, oh, yeah, that was in a movie that I watched. And, and especially if you watch show, you know, movies with uh, Bible content that are supposed to be Bible-based. And I, I love to pick on it. It's a great movie, wonderful movie, The Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. Great movie as far as movies go. But every time I teach the book of Exodus, people will go, well, didn't this happen? And didn't that happen? I'm going, yeah, it did in the movie, but not, <laughs> not in the Bible. But you understand what I'm saying? It's so easy for us to pull in this knowledge that has gone through without us thinking about it, without us analyzing it. Uh, 
I was talking with Annie the other, just this morning, I think, there was a, some Samson and Delilah movie written way back in the 50s or 60s or even 40s. I don't know. I think it was black and white. And I'm watching, I watched about 20 minutes of it, and I'm going, where did they get this story from? <laughs> okay, because it definitely wasn't a Bible, you know, it had the Bible characters and some of the Bible incidents, but they had added so much to it that was not Bible. You know, was it a good movie? I don't know. I didn't watch enough of it because I got irritated by it. But it might have been a great movie as far as movies go, but it was supposed to be a movie about something else. So I just want to make this challenge for you. We have this problem when we just sit down to be entertained. And we need to be careful that we don't just shut down our biblical point of view when we're being and be entertained because it can, it can come back to haunt you. You'll find yourself doing something, well, how did I get this idea? And you realize it was from some, something that you watched or played. And it could even be plays or even magazines, but just looking to be careful of that. The other class of angels that we know about are seraphim. Seraphim are, are given to us in Isaiah 6. It pictures them as having six wings, and they're flying around the throne. And that's the only time we see here the, the word seraphim or see that them is when they're worshiping and they're and they're worshiping around the throne which would indicate that probably in revelation when it talks about the angels singing around worshiping around the throne that they're probably referring to the seraphim but again that is not <laughs> you know something that we can say absolutely so we just wanted to bring this i just wanted to bring this out i'm hoping this would add something to some people jesus said they do not marry in matthew 22 28 through 30 we know that they have great power. Uh, the example in Kings that we talked about and also in First Peter, uh, Second Peter 2.10, he tells us that they are powerful. And they have more power than we do currently. And they are very wise. In 2 Samuel 14.20, it talks about their wisdom, their great wisdom, their wisdom above ours. And this is why it's kind of interesting when, I, when I've met some Christians who want to they want to go exercise demon, excise demons, and they go, they want to talk to them. I'm going, you want to talk to demons? They're wiser and been around a lot longer than you, and you think you're going to outsmart them? I've had people think they can outsmart Satan. <laughs> the chief angel, the one who's been around for at least 6,000 years, and you know, just the length of time he's been around is going to make him smart, <laughs> and you think you can outsmart him. And we see all kinds of movies and shows on this, how somebody's going to outsmart <laughs> the, the devil on a deal. <laughs> Okay, it won't happen. <laughs> it won't happen. We need Jesus. And then the last thing to, to mention is, is for angels, we, in our day, we picture them primarily as women, or, or at least feminine, <laughs> with wings. But in the scripture, they appear every time except for one in Zechariah, and it doesn't say they were angels. It just said some, that somebody was flying toward them that was a woman. Um, they appear as male. Mark 16, 5, when Mary went into the temple, uh, uh, when John and, and Mary saw the angels at the temple, at the tomb, excuse me, not the temple, the tomb. And they said the young, they appeared as young men. In Genesis 18, 2, when they appeared before Abraham, they were men in description. In uh, Genesis 19, when the two angels go into Sodom, and Lot takes them into their house. The men, are, the men of Sodom are knocking on Lot's door and said, send out the men that came into you. So we look at this and it appears that 
at least when they appear in human form, <laughs> that they take a male gender. And other than that one place where it says two women were flying toward him. <laughs> uh, so, and then we know that they're, org they're organized. In Ephesians 6, 12, and in, even in Colossians where we read it, it talked about principalities, rulers, and uh, powers and rulers in high places. Angels are organized. In Daniel, it said that the prince of Persia, uh, Gabriel said, the prince of Persia prevented me from coming to you, which meant that there was a demon that was over Persia. And he had to, uh, Gabriel said, he had to call for Michael. And those are, we only know three angels' names, and that's Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And so Lu Michael, the, the archangel, had to come and get, get Gabriel through to, to his prayer. So we know that they are organized. And I read one very interesting commentary this week. Angels are organized, demons are organized, God's organized, and yet his churches can't organize them many times to, <laughs> to come to battle. And, you know, the, we laugh about it, but it's also kind of a sad thing. Most of us as Christians tend to forget that we are in a spiritual battle and we do things that are not going to be good in the spiritual realm. We forget to pray. We forget to read our scriptures. We forget to put our mind on spiritual things. And then we walk out into the middle of a battle. And the one thing I have said over and over again, most of us would be scared to death if we saw this world from the spiritual perspective. Flaming arrows and darts of, of temptation flying around. Uh, battles going on all around us. There is a war going on around us that we are oblivious to in most of our day-to-day -day activities. And we need to get ourselves prepared. We are in a war because we are on the wrong territory. We are not at home because home is heaven. We are actually behind enemy lines. We are in Lucifer's and Satan's, who is Satan's territory. And we need to realize that we're at, we're at war. And how easy do we find ourselves falling for sin? And we'd like to say we fell for sin. Usually it's our oblivion that caused it. And we want to be able to understand there is a war going on. And God is protecting us from much of the war that's going on without us even knowing about it, without us planning on it. How much more powerful can we be if we recognize that we're in war and we stay organized and we stay ready for the war? When Satan sends those temptations, we need to turn to Jesus and say, I need that help. I need your help. Because we're promised that there is no temptation that it will overtake us. Everything is common to man, but there is a way of escape. But that way of escape is through Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual way of escape. I am not strong enough in my own strength to escape the temptation. Because if, if I was, it wouldn't be a temptation. You know, think about this. For, for some of us, alcohol and drugs are not, not a temptation. Why? Because we never got taken into it. For some people, it's a huge temptation. For some people, having a, being drawn into a fornication or adultery is a huge temptation. Others, it's not as much. Some people have the honesty drilled into them that you would trust them with everything and not worry about them stealing from you. Others have huge problems with it. There are certain things in our life that we look at and say, well, I'm not too likely to be tempted in that. 
But having said that, I want to warn you that where you think you're very strong is exactly where you're going to fall. Why? Because you don't put a guard on it. You don't put a guard on that area of your life, and all of a sudden you find yourself falling in the area that you never thought you would fall in. And I've shared with you all, I walked away from God for about two years, and if, I had been, when, if you'd told me when I was a teenager, there'll be a day you don't go to church and read your Bible, I'd have laughed at you. <laughs> and I didn't put a guard on that. And through a whole long cir- set of circumstances, I ended up not going to church, not reading the Bible, because I thought it was a strong area. I didn't have to worry about it. So be very careful. Wherever you think you're strong at, put a guard there anyway, because you will be able to fall in that area. Because the unguarded part of your life is going to be easy prey. And this is something that you know. We know this anyway. If you're at war, you don't leave any part of your line unguarded. If you, if you want your house robbed, just tell people that you don't have an alarm system and I'll be away for the next week or two. Okay? A lot of people do that on Facebook. I'm going to be away for two weeks in, uh, in another town. <laughs> and then they wonder why they come back and their house has been robbed. You know, it just... Yeah, it makes no sense, but people do these things. We as Christians go out many times and think, well, I'm so strong in this area, I'm not going to put a guard, I'm not going to be careful. And then we kind of end up falling in that area and, wonder, and then we wonder what happened. How did this happen? So we want to be very careful. We want to we be able to look at this. Um, and I just wanted to help us with angels and stuff. We don't want to worship angels. <laughs> They're very powerful, they're very strong, but we're not to worship them. We're not even to have a high you know, glory for them. They're God's servants. You know, so many times people would bow down. In Revelation, John bowed down to the angel because he was so impressed by the angel and the strength and, the, and what he saw, and he said, get up, I'm a servant just like you. Angels recognize what they are, they're servants. We should recognize that we're servants for God. And this is something that he's asked us, you know, the favorite phrase of Paul in his letters was that he was a bond slave of Christ, which meant that he had voluntarily placed himself into servitude for God. And we need to be in that same place. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to, to just worship you and see a, another aspect of where you're at. We ask that you be with each one of us. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, and we ask that they recognize that they're a sinner and that they deserve punishment and that you are the one that saves them and that they will ask you to come into their heart. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.